This episode of the Trek Geeks Podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash trekgeeks, and you'll find over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or any MP3 player. Hi, this is Andy Robinson, Elam Garrick on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little podcast this side of the Gamma Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Failure to tune in would not sit well with the Obsidian Order. little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. This is the Trek Geeks Podcast. Welcome one and all, and thank you very much for downloading. This is episode 34 of the biggest little show. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith, and at this point, as I usually do, I'd like to introduce my co-host. You may not know it, but he's the best Taylor Dane impersonator this side of the Mississippi. So not a well-known fact at all. You can tell it to his heart, though, because he's Dan Davidson. Dan, how are you, buddy? Hey. Hey, what's up? Sorry. (laughs) Hey, thanks. Hey, thanks for that wonderful introduction. I never know what's going to come out of your mouth, um, and I'm never uh, disappointed. Let's just put it that way. I think that's probably a strong use of words. (laughs) (laughs) Good to be here. Episode 34. We're on the David Ortiz like number episode. I know, right? It's pretty crazy. Um, It is crazy. And we should mention as we record this that. In addition to this being our 34th episode, it's also the birthday of the first captain of the Starship Enterprise, according to canon. Isn't it, Dan? It is. Scott Bakula, 61 years old today. Currently uh, the star on uh, CSI New Orleans. Close. uh, Which, unfortunately, I have not watched. Well, that's good because you'd actually want to watch NCIS New Orleans. NCIS, yes. You know why? I just, right before we came upstairs, we were watching some uh, DVR episodes, and there was a commercial for the final episode of CSI, which aired a couple weeks ago or so, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, I got a little CSI, NCIS, ABCD on the brain, so my apologies. <laughs> Alphabet soup all around. It is great. Alphabet cereal. That's what I like. Yeah. Ooh, that was good stuff Sip. growing up. There you go. So we figured that with it being Scott's birthday today, uh, or or Captain Archer's birthday, um, we would want to have a special Enterprise-themed episode today. So that's what we're going to do, right, Bill? That's correct, Dan. So we're going to talk about uh, all kinds of aspects of Enterprise. We haven't talked about it a whole lot here on the podcast, and we figured it was about time. We've talked a lot of original series, a lot of Deep Space Nine some next gen, and we figured it was about time that we gave Enterprise some love as the most recent of the live-action Star Trek series. So, Dan, with that, let's get started. Um, you remember when Enterprise you know, was announced 
toward the end of Voyager or maybe right after Voyager, we kind of maybe did a collective, huh? Because they announced yeah. the series was essentially going to be retcon, or, or for those of you not familiar with that abbreviation, retroactive continuity. What did you think of that premise when you first heard it? I thought it had... I don't know. It's it's hard. It, it it sounded like it. Oh, that could be kind of cool. But as Star Trek fans, we're so um, into detail, and any mistake is automatically pointed out. and And I think that could have possibly opened the door for a lot of criticism uh, with the show. Um, it was something that was I was a little nervous about. Of course, I was excited that a new show was coming out because as long as they were coming out, we were loving them. But um, there was a little bit of trepidation there, at least at first, on how they were going to do it. And that actually did bleed in during the four seasons, I think, as well. I think for me, you know, the problem, or not really the problem, but the concern I had was the last amount of retcon we got with Star Wars, which was The Phantom Menace just a couple of years before that, was (laughs) terrible. Yes. It was not a great movie. And then all of a sudden, you know, Paramount and CBS get the idea, well, hey, let's, you know, go back in time and do a Star Trek series before Kirk. And my initial reaction was, really? Star Trek's about going forward. Why don't we go forward? Let's do the next, next generation. Let's do, let's do something else. So I think that was initially my concern. I think, I think at that point we had then had three series that took place from the future of TOS when it was in the next generation era. And I don't know if maybe the creators thought we can't do another one in this time frame, and having another hundred years in the future will just be maybe too difficult for technology to how, how things are because some of the episodes where they did it in the 29th century with the uh, relativity and stuff like that didn't really work, at least for me. So I'm wondering if that had something to do with it. And they said, hey, we have a whole gap of time that has never been discussed um, from reality um, until TOS. So let's do something there. I don't know. I wasn't a fly on the wall, so I can't be certain. Did you think that the characters in Enterprise, when you know, they were first announced and when the show first premiered, did you think they were compelling enough or interesting enough? Um, I thought that some of them were. I thought that Archer's... Um, bio was interesting. I always was fascinated with Dr. Phlox. Um, and I thought that to Paul was going to be very interesting, but I will say, um, and not to offend anybody. I initially thought when I saw the first pictures of her, that the reason they were bringing her on was kind of the same way of why all of a sudden they brought seven of nine onto Voyager. Okay. They wanted that sex appeal for the teenage kids. Um, and something to grasp onto. And that was pretty evident in the first episode. I mean, the decon chamber is one that always stands out. Um, did they overdo that? Who knows? But character-wise, I thought those were the three most compelling for me. I um, I have to agree on some level. I, I liked the concept of Archer. You know, I, I wanted him to be a little more the explorer than necessarily even Kirk was. Because these waters really were uncharted to some degree. I liked Flox, although I wasn't sure about how he was written in the pilot. I thought he, mm-hmm. I thought some of the dialogue was a little odd, and certainly <laughs> John Billingsley, as awesome as he is and as great as Flox wound up at the end, you know what they gave him to do wasn't necessarily what worked for the character. Or the rest of the series, mm-hmm. and ultimately, those were really the two characters I kind of latched onto. I found I liked Hoshi. Because yeah. I liked that she was uncertain. I liked that, you know, she wasn't necessarily wanting to be out in space, but she did it. 
but I there were several characters I just wasn't a fan of right off the bat. And Malcolm and Trip kind of lead the pack for that. I'm still not okay. a huge Trip fan per se, because I think they played him a little too, or they wrote him a little too hayseed. I think that Connor Trenier did a great job with everything they gave him to do, and and eventually, you know, brought more depth to that character than I think they they gave him initially. But I just they were characters that to me just sort of seemed slightly over the top stereotype wise. Yeah, you know what I mean. I was always I was actually always I was. A, at first, and for a lot of the series, I was a little disappointed in the lack of participation that they gave to Hoshi. She did have that that one episode with her with her fears and stuff like that, but I don't really remember her being a critical part in a lot of episodes. Same with Travis. Poor Alexander Montgomery. I feel that he got the shaft out of this whole series, out of all the people together. Um, and so did Travis Anthony did Montgomery. Have, what's that? So did Anthony Montgomery. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he just he just oh, I, I felt bad. He didn't have anything to do, um, and you got to wonder. You know, I hate to say, it, but if if you're not going to give a character development, why do you have him in there for? Right. They could have very um, easily done that with with extras. Yeah. You know, Helms, yeah. Helmsman Jones. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm glad that he had the part. I'm sure he had a great time with it, and it was great meeting him in Boston at the convention last year. Um, so I'm certainly glad that he got it. But it was one of those ones where you kind of like, okay, that. There's nothing going on with this guy. When they gave him something to do, he knocked it out of the park. Yep. You know, when you when watch... When he was a Mako yeah. in the universe episodes? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. If you even take a look at Terra Prime, you mm-hmm. know, when they gave his character some backstory and something to do, I mean, he it was it was good development for the character. It was substantive. It was quality. And they were good scenes. Yep. I just wish they had given Anthony and Linda and uh, more to do, honestly. Right. So, go ahead. We talked about that last week a little bit. Like, when you have all these series that start and you have more cast members, somebody always gets the short end of the stick and there's no real character development. And that's this is this certainly happened on Enterprise, I think. Well, I think it was pretty illustrative of what happened on Voyager before it, too. Mm-hmm. But, exactly. Uh, so, of course, the series start off with the idea of the temporal Cold War. Did you think that was a good idea? Because it seemed like they abandoned it much quicker than they anticipated. I think that the initial idea of it was like, oh, wow, what are they going to do that? Because you know how we can go on for hours about temporal stuff, temporal prime directive. Um, But uh, (laughs) (laughs) I think when they started it and it became so unbelievably confusing, they decided to drop it. And I think that's – I think think Brannon – uh, Brandon's um, things that he's mentioned to us on Twitter in regards to the Temporal Code War, we could have a great conversation with him about what he thought. Oh, I think so too. I think that would be fascinating. Um, and and I, I suppose we shouldn't keep people in suspense for those who may not have seen it or not have True. seen the tweet. But he, you know, Brandon Braga, the you know co-creator of Enterprise and the showrunner at one point, essentially said that Archer was Future Man, which I think would have been awesome. Yeah, that was mind blown. Absolutely. I think yeah. that would have added such depth to the series, you know, created a whole, you know, a whole other spin-off of arcs that would have been amazing had mm-hmm. Enterprise gotten, you know, its seven seasons that that every other other show got. Right. But I I think that once they got to the Zindi arc, I think that it complicated things way too much. Right. Let me uh let me back up just a, a minute, Bill. What did you think of the Temporal Cold Cold War? I can't say it. Cold War. <laughs> Cold War. What did you think? 
Emperor Caldwar. I um <laughs> thanks Forrest. I uh <laughs> don't spit out your beard. I thought that the temporal cold war was an interesting idea, but I thought they were relying too much on the whole temporal thing. I mean, you know, Star Trek's best stories, as a lot of people say, have had to do with time travel or at least time and, you know, temporal incursion. And I thought that maybe to, to base the whole beginning of the series on that was not the best choice. There was enough to focus on with, you know, getting them off on the, on the mission with getting them into their first few you know, contacts with alien races they'd never met before with mm-hmm. figuring out the dynamic between the Vulcans and the humans in space. Right. I thought there was plenty there where they didn't necessarily have to create a big bad guy with future guy and then, you know, have his, his foot soldiers be the Suliban as right. interesting a race as they were. See, I didn't, I didn't care for the Suliban very much at all. Really? Um, I, I will give Silic props for his character. Um, I thought he did. I thought that was a great character, but for the race itself, I just, I, it never really, it never really um, connected with me very much. Okay. Well, do you, um, do you think that Enterprise suffered from franchise exhaustion? Do you think that before the show ever got off the ground, that it was behind the eight ball because Star Trek had been done at that point for twenty one seasons? I, I like to think not. Because the 21 seasons were, for the most part, pretty good seasons. And uh, I don't know what the numbers were on, on uh, if, if, the, if the number of viewers dropped off uh, towards the end. But I think for a Star Trek base, the fans will take what they can get when it's available to them. Um, that's what I'd like to think. But... I do think in some ways it did have the eight ball behind them a little bit. Yeah, I think on some level they did. Maybe it didn't suffer from exhaustion, but I think that the network was probably more tired of it than the fans were. Right, and I I think maybe the network, instead of exhaustion, it might have been, what else can we do? Right. Um, You guys have been in space now for... For 21 years with various ships yeah. and various captains yeah. and what's what's different about this? We're just putting different paint on a on a different barn. I was going to say we're just putting extra pieces of makeup on somebody's nose bridge. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah, so. no, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. obviously the, the network wasn't a fan or CBS president Les Moonves wasn't a, plan, a, a fan. That's pretty yeah. evident. But you and I were. Um, we like the show very much. So what were some of the things that you like most about... Enterprise, especially early on, what was it that, that that really gave you that sort of hey, this actually is pretty cool? Porthos. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Number one, you know me, I love dogs. Um, I actually say hi to the dogs walking down the street instead of the humans that have them on a leash. So the idea of having that adorable beagle on the ship, I loved that. When the first time I saw it, it was awesome, and every time we saw him, I loved it. I'm not even joking when I say that. I love the idea of Porthos being on the show. <laughs> well, Dan, <laughs> let me ask you an important question at this point. When you see Porthos on the screen, does he talk to you, Dan? Do you hear him talking to you directly? Yeah. Okay. He's looking at me going, hi, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> no, in all seriousness, um, I did like I did love Porthos. I loved what a lot of the guest stars were able to do on the show. Yeah. Gary Graham 
and Vaughn Armstrong in particular. Those two guys should have been regulars. So we talk about how Anthony Montgomery didn't get to be a regular. These two guys should have because they were fantastic. Jeffrey Combs is another one. Um, I liked what they did with the character development. Now, with that being said, I hated the way the Vulcans were portrayed in Enterprise. Really? Why is that? I thought that they were made to be arrogant a-holes, and Vulcans aren't supposed to be like that. Uh, they felt superior, and they showed it, which was seemed to go against the whole non-emotional type thing for me. But don't you think that on some level that other you know eventual member races of the Federation would have had that perception of Vulcans, especially humans? Uh, I don't know. It, it just didn't. It didn't work for me. I, okay. To me, they were just they were just cocky, and that wasn't what the Vulcans' Serac philosophy was all about. I can appreciate on some level that the humans may have felt like they were being held back on purpose by the Vulcans, and that creating animosity. I think that's good drama. Mm-hmm. But but that's animosity on the human side. There shouldn't be any animosity at all on the Vulcan side. That they don't they don't quote unquote have animosity. I think that was probably one of my chief complaints with the uh, the Vulcan trilogy they did when they introduced T'Pau, because Robert mm-hmm. Foxworth's character, the head of the, the Vulcan Council, was angry a lot. And mm-hmm. I was like, wait, that, that's not very Vulcan. Right. Where's the logic? Now, we could, I, I can play devil's advocate to my, own, to my own topic. Spock was pretty emotional in the first couple episodes of TOS. He True, smiled. Spock was also half human, though. True. That's what he's taking the words right out of my mouth, brother. Love oh. it. Um, but I thought that an enterprise to Paul was way too emotional. I thought that um, Saval was way too arrogant and cocky. And whenever you saw a captain on a Vulcan ship, um, the guy who played the president in 24 is one that comes to mind. Um, very arrogant, I thought. Uh so it's interesting that you say that about T'Pol because my chief complaint with her character was that she was far too wooden at first. I thought, you know, the portrayal oh. of T'Pol was incredibly stiff because of the way they wrote the character. But I think that by the end, yes. the character that Jolene Blaylock crafted was amazing. And I don't think she gets nearly enough credit for the character she created in that show. She was very stiff in the very beginning. We'll say that, but I thought as it got on, as it went on and on, she became more emotional than we would expect to see from someone who was 100% Vulcan. Now, could that be because she was with humans all the time? Yeah, you could say that, but that's not very good training from a Vulcan standpoint, in my opinion. No, that's probably true, and I think some of that's maybe the the difference in writing, the changing, the changes in show running. You know, maybe yeah. Kodo had come on at that point. Maybe that had something to do with the shift in the character. I'm not really sure. I do think mm-hmm. that the series overall got off to a notoriously slow start. Yes, you know, Some very of those first slow. few episodes are like, oh, really? Yeah. The gas yeah. is making them see rock people? Come on. <laughs> Get this over with already. What do you mean there's a storm? Really? <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking I, I about, agree. too. Yep. And plus, um, there wasn't a disastrous first contact with the Klingons like Picard told us so many years ago. Right. Or or even yeah, Spock. Yeah, I wouldn't call that disastrous. Yeah, that no. wasn't disastrous at all. No. It was a little um, uncomfortable, maybe, is a better word. Yeah, certainly not disastrous. Not by any means. That brings up the whole retcon thing, I think. Yeah. 
One of the things that you and I have had several conversations about, and I'm going to try to explain what I'm thinking, and it's probably going to come out really bad, but anybody who listens to the show is used to that by now. (laughs) So you've got from 1966 to present of Star Trek history. And in all this time, they've got the history of what happened before TOS. Because they decided to make a show that took place before TOS, they decided to throw new historical facts into the mix, like the Zindi, the attack on Earth, and Florida getting wiped out practically, um, all these kind of things. And you never heard about that in TOS, TNG, DS9, Voyager, of course, because you couldn't because it hadn't been thought of yet. But from a linear standpoint, it took place. So – I kind of have issues with that whole retcon thing in that aspect. Well, we were going to bring this up later, but it seems like the discussion is lending to it now. So let's skip to it. You mentioned the Zindi arc. Is that where the entire show went wrong? Is the problem that they went, instead of being an episodic show like Star Trek was used to, forget about Deep Space Nine for a second because it broke all of Star Trek's rules and and rather Mm -hmm. successfully. The fact that they went from an episodic show to one complete arc in one season did it go on far too long? Yes. Oh, yeah, way too long. Yeah, I think that that was the final uh, nail in the coffin for Enterprise in terms of continuing on for several more seasons. Um, it got it got it got boring for me anyway. Yeah. Um, it got confusing. How many species? Seven, eight, six, I forget. six, something like yeah, several. Um, and it just it seemed to it seemed to just go on and on and on and and half a season would have been more than enough, I think, to take care of the whole Zindi arc. And by it going on another half season, I think that was it. Do you think the fact that it was so close after 9-11 contributed to that sort of um, uh, disinterest in the arc? Do you think it was too soon? That's a good question. I've never really thought about that, to be honest with you. Um, So I would say for me... No, because it's not something that's never really entered my mind. Okay. Um, I've I've never actually ever related the events that took place um, with the Zindi and any reference to 9-11 before. So that's, that's a very interesting take on it, though. For me, I think it was far too heavy-handed an analogy. You know, mm-hmm. it was so obviously a, a terrorist attack of sorts where they, yep. they killed a, a large number of Americans from the sky. And... Mm-hmm. I just I didn't feel a connection to the material, probably because nine eleven was still so new. Granted, it had been yep. a couple of years at that point, but uh, plus I didn't really feel a connection to Trip. I right. still I still don't, and I certainly right. didn't feel one to his sister. Exactly, and that's one of the things I was, was going to say is that it for me that season turned Trip into not a Starfleet officer. He just wanted revenge, right, on some level. So. Yeah, and I, I thought that that was sort of counterintuitive. I mean, I understand that she was Tripp's sister, but it might have helped the viewer if we had actually gotten to know Tripp's sister or had some mm-hmm. kind of relationship, whether through communications or, right. you know, uh, taped messages. You know, if you saw yep. Tripp watching, maybe you would have felt some kind of loss in that sense. But it almost seemed mm-hmm. like an empty death and you never even saw it. Right, exactly. I, yep. uh, I, uh, I, just, I didn't think the arc was compelling enough. And I think that I don't think it. I, I think that I don't even remember half the episodes of that season. I was just gonna say I. I, mean, I can't even remember the amount of 
different Zindi there were or what roles other than the insectoids really had. Um, those were the primary ones. I think there were some underwater breathers or something like that. Um, it, it was it was not it was not a story arc that I remember. I don't really remember a lot of it. This was a stump the geek question way back in the beginning of the podcast. I remember that the water, the insectoids, the monkeys, the arboreals. Uh, ar- <laughs> the monkeys. <laughs> the monkeys. <laughs> it's a Zindi monkey. Um, it's it. Yeah. Um, I will say one thing, and, and it's kind of it's kind of macabre when you think about it. I did think that the whole scene with with the beam just like ripping through Florida that was pretty cool. <laughs> Special effects wise, <laughs> it was amazing. It was, and the episode where um, uh, Earth got destroyed—the whole time episode with Archer and his memory—right, that special effect was one of the best of the whole series. But honestly, to me, that was probably the one of the best episodes of that season. I still yeah. go back and oh, watch it, it every best. now and then. It's it's a phenomenal episode, especially just the relationship between Archer and T'Pol. Not only how she feels responsible for him, but the affection she feels, which oh, she denies. Emotion creeping in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So, so, Dan, as we continue our Enterprise discussion, you have an all-time favorite episode or episodes of the series, do. don't you? I do, but before we get into that, there was one other thing I wanted to mention about the series as a whole. Oh, yeah. We talked about the dislike of the retcon, but one of the things that I did like was how they would bring in actually known Star Trek canon history into the show and talk about it and have episodes on it. A perfect example, why the Klingons look human in TOS. I love that whole story arc. Um, I love the they had people like Colonel Green were mentioned in it yep. and uh, were in it. Um, I liked the eugenics wars discussions. Uh, you talked about it a few minutes ago. They brought T'Pau in when she was young. I liked how they did things like that. It was the whole backwards history thing that I had a problem with. Yeah, I felt like early on they tried too hard, but by the time they hit seasons like three and four with some of these references, mm-hmm. I thought they were yep. really doing a good job of of making it tie to the universe we know and love. Right. Speaking of universes that we know and love, Bill. <laughs> I just see I set that up like a pro, dude. That was a big market right. oh. tease. I just hit that one right out of the park. Pow. Um, Season four, I think, was when they really hit their stride, and it was too bad that it was their last season. And I really thought they hit their stride with the two-part Mirror Universe episode. Um, In a Mirror Darkly, I think, was a very well-written and well-done episodes, two episodes. And, of course, because it was Mirror Universe, you know how I feel about the Mirror Universe – I'm going to say you loved it, Dan. I loved it, Bill. (laughs) Now, here's one of the things I loved about it. Now, let's try to wrap our minds around this, no matter how big or how small those minds may be, to some co-hosts or others. Wow. Um, Yeah, sorry. Wow. The entire rise of the Terran Empire in the Mirror Universe with an emperor slash empress was due to incidents that happened in our timeline in the future. When the Defiant went through Interface in the episode of the Tholian Web and then went back into the past in the Mirror Universe, if that didn't happen, if the ship wasn't taken over by Archer and the crew and then eventually by Sato, uh, Sato, they would never become an empress. The whole entire Terran Empire would have never happened. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> for those of you wondering, that was not the gunshot effect from the last episode. That was Dan's m- mind blowing up. Just want to clarify. <laughs> I thought that was a brilliant piece of writing for that whole arc of the uh, of the Defiant. Not our Defiant from Deep Space Nine, but of course the Constellation class starship. Right. I um, I- I'm torn with this episode. Because there are things that I like that they did as choices, but overall, the episodes are not my favorites. I think, for me, they are my least favorite Mirror Universe episodes. And as this is my last episode of the Trek Geeks podcast, i just like to find out why. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's horrifically slow. They split it up into really? two. Yeah, it is, it's painfully slow at various points. And I rewatched okay. it the other day, just to, to confirm what I've always believed, and they could have done this in one episode and cut out half of the, the stuff they put in there because it didn't propel the plot. Okay. Well, on that note, let's do this then. Since we're talking about the fact that you thought it was slow, that would be kind of a negative part of, of this two-parter. Sure. Let's talk about the things we didn't like first. Okay. And then go back to what we did like. I like that. So you didn't like that because it was slow. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that I ap- did not just didn't like, I hated the CGI – for the Tholian and for the Gorn, I thought was cartoon, horrible yeah. CGI. That was terrible. That I was know that they terrible. were trying, you know, oh my God. When I first heard that there was going to be a Gorn on this episode, I was so excited because I love the Gorn. It was uh, it was awful. And and trying to have Scott Bakula as Archer fighting it and punching it in the face with his, with his phaser rifle, it just looked so tacky to me. And since when are there gravity plates in the middle of the hallway <laughs> in, a con- in a Constitution class and you vessel? Actually, you saw the Gorn's skin, like, droop. Yeah. <laughs> it was, oh, that was awful. That's, and this, this brings me to another thing that, that I had a hard time with in the episode. It just takes me right out of it. So that ship, the Defiant, is from 100 years in the future, yet... <laughs> Our Mirror Enterprise crew knows how to operate everything in the course of about 20 minutes. Absolutely. They're smart in that universe, son. Son. <laughs> I, just, I just sounded like Admiral Marcus, didn't I? You really did. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, very good point. I hadn't thought about that. Okay. Um, this, one's gonna, this one might piss a few people off, but you know me. I'm going to bring it up anyway. Is there a reason why... In the mirror universe, all the female officers are um, not uh, perhaps <laughs> overly promiscuous. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Thank you. I mean, I mean, it's 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 over the top. It seems to me, and that all of the female episodes and all the female characters in these episodes are like that. You've got Hoshi, who is with. Von uh, Von Armstrong and, and Scott Bakula, and you've got Kira in Deep Space Nine, which was like levels above anybody else. Oh yeah, um, even Marlena Moreau in, in Mirror Mirror, she was she was the captain's woman until he says she's not, and then she hooked up with Spock. And if you read the David Mack uh, um, novel, she finally settled down with him. But she kind of she kind of. Uh, Got around, so to speak. And if you even want to bring a horror into it, the way that she was kind of flirting a little bit with with uh, Sulu kind of made you think that they'd done it before and maybe done a little bit more than just flirting. I think that I, I, I've always looked at it as the, the polar opposite of what 
the Starfleet universe we know and love is, where the women don't necessarily have to do that. Whereas in this, you know, very um, dictatorial, very um, patriarchal society in the mirror universe, um, they were women were accessories rather than equals. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was yep. a subjugation of sorts. Um, yep. in a way. And that's kind of how I've always looked at it. As I've gone through and I've read some of the novels and, and I've rewatched some of these episodes, you know, it's it's like you said, you know, Mar- 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 I have a hard time saying her name, Marlena Moreau. Marlena yes. Moreau. She, um, she was the captain's woman, but remember, she, at one point, they referenced her essentially going through every officer in the fleet, potentially. Yes. Yep. You know, so yep. it's it's not the most favorable portrayal of women, but it's in a way, it's also not the most favorable portrayal of men either, quite frankly. Yeah, exactly. And I will say that I like how um, the intendant Kira turned that around in the mirror universe in DS9 because she had all the boy toys around her all the time. So it was kind of like a, a kind of reversal of fortune type of thing. She's the only woman with power in the mirror universe other than now yeah. Hoshi Sato. Yep. Yep. I always thought that that was kind of interesting that, well, maybe it's because she's Bajoran. I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know how that. It's too bad we'll never find out. I know. Maybe someday we ask Nana again. I don't know. We do that. Um, What else? What else did you like, Bud? Um, (laughs) I didn't think that Admiral Forrest sacrificing himself was in tune with the mirror universe at all. It was far too selfless. Especially after how he acted with Archer in the brig. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, yeah, the, I, I'll agree with that. It's just, it was, it was a convenient plot part. So I think it, it didn't, it didn't mesh with the story. And then regarding Forrest's death, it always kills me how slowly the Tholian web was created in the original series and in enterprise, it was created in about six seconds. It's like night and day. Yeah, I, one of the, and I will say that is a complaint as much as I love the episode, the Tholian web had two ships. One strand. Yeah. In a mirror darkly had two ships, six or seven strands each or something yeah. like that. It was crazy. And the beams were coming out <laughs> the opposite end, weren't they? I think so. And why do they have better technology to have more strands coming out? It's in the past from the Tholian web episode with right. one strand. Right. So, so yeah, that, <laughs> that's, that's good. I mean, don't get me wrong. It made for an interesting episode. It made a, for some halfway decent storytelling for what they were trying to do. It's just still not my favorite. That's okay. I'll, I'll let you get, I'll let's, all right. <laughs> so what about things you liked about it? I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that I liked about it, but oh. what did you actually like about it? You know, I, I have to say some of the choices they made in producing the episode, I thought were wonderful. The whole opening credit sequence I thought was perfect to set the yes. tone of the episode. It was yep. the exact mirror opposite of, of the whole Faith of the Heart opening, which I have never been a fan of. Yep. And um, I thought it was brilliant. In fact, it even bled into the teaser before that when they used the exact oh, yeah. scene from First Contact with the same score mm-hmm. by Jerry Goldsmith. And then all of a sudden, Zephram Cochran whips out a shotgun and blows the Vulcan away. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, that was good. At that point, I was like, yep. man, that was awesome. Yeah. So I like that part very I- much. I um I said at the very beginning, I just think the idea of tying the Tholian web episode from the original series with the spatial interface and what happened to the Defiant when it went through interface was absolute genius. Now, 
was it so that they could have the original bridge to be able to play on for the episode? I don't care because it was <laughs> it was great. It it looked fantastic. Also, I mean, it looked really good. Um, the other thing that I liked is is we know the brutality of the Empire in the Mirror Universe, and it was a very quick scene. I don't remember if it was Captain Archer or not talking on the speakers to the ship, but they were showing various people and they showed Dr. Phlox in his black outfit, which I also liked very much, in sickbay. And he's sitting there and he's got a monkey like completely opened up and he's just dissecting it and playing with it. That was a great scene (laughs) to show the evilness of the Mirror Universe. You know, John Billingsley is, as you know, is one of my favorite people in the Star Trek universe in general. But I have to say, mm-hmm. in this episode, he is particularly brilliant. Yes. Um, Phlox, Mirror Phlox, is just, he's, he, he's a bad guy. He's a sadistic yeah, he guy. And <laughs> it's such a nice departure from the character that we actually really like over the four seasons of in the Prime Universe. I just, Billingsley crushed that episode, and I love watching him in it. And it's something that's always saddened me when we had our discussion with um, Andy Robinson a few months ago, how he hated the Mirror Universe because his character was so evil and all he did was like to kill and cause, you know, sorrow and stuff like that. I think that that's something that John Billingsley specifically maybe enjoyed was he got to come out of that normal uh, character that he'd been playing uh, as Dr. Flox and really got to do something different with his character. And I thought that was, I thought he did a great job as well. I thought it was a wonderful departure for him. The other thing I really liked um, was, was Hoshi being the Empress at the end. I mean, she seizes the ultimate control and the ultimate power in the galaxy at that point and essentially brings, you know, the, the current vision of Starfleet to its knees. She has, and it's complete. It's, I'm sorry. It's completely unexpected. Yeah. That was the yeah. best twist of all at the end. And I was like, yeah, yeah. that is awesome. <laughs> and she murders yep. Archer to do it, which is even better. Yep. Yep. And she's got, uh, she's moved on. There you go. Anthony Montgomery now has a good part. Right. Travis Mayweather uh, as his, as her, uh, as her concubine or whatever it is you want to call. But I will say the last thing that I really liked about it, we got to see that Reed was the inventor of the agony booth. And that was a great continuity reference. I thought my favorite agony booth scene of all time is Chekhov. And knowing now that Malcolm Reed played a hand in that <laughs> kind of gives me a little giggity. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Nothing pleases me more than seeing Chekhov in the agony booth. Cause I'm not a Chekhov <laughs> fan, uh, the character, because I just, eh, eh whatever. But, uh, <laughs> Knowing that Malcolm created that little device is pretty awesome. They used it like three times in the in the two parter. Yeah, they yeah. really got the mileage out of that. And the first time they used it, there's a Tellarite in there. Yes, in a Mirror <laughs> yep. Enterprise, which uniform. is another good another good continuity reference. I yeah. like how they do stuff like that. Um, and uh, I, I the other thing I liked about it was with Trip. He had the same type of scarring as Captain Pike did for the same reason, the, yeah. that radiation. I thought that was another great um, a great reference to the original series. I thought it was was fabulous. The uh, Was it Delta Rays? Is that right? Delta Rays. Yep, yeah. It was indeed. Yep. It was good. Good stuff. There is plenty to like about In a Mirror Darkly. I don't hate it. Not by any stretch. Mm-hmm. It's just not, it's not my favorite of the Mirror episodes. You know, I'll watch it because there's some sentimental value there because, you know, they're playing on TOS sets. They're expanding the TOS universe with some of those sets. 
because we see parts of a Constitution class vessel we've never seen before. Yeah, you know some of the can service you, can crawlways. You, can you give me this at least? Can yeah. you give me this? Did you like it better than the Ferengi Mary Universe episode? Yes, I did. <laughs> yes, okay, I did. Thank you. All I right. I liked You're it forgiven. better. I liked it better than just about every Ferengi episode. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Touché. think that's an, I don't think that's an overstatement. No, I, I, I'll go with that one. <laughs> Jeez. Well, Dan, as I, I look at our schedule here, there's something on here. You've got something you want to do in this part of the episode, and I'm not really sure what it is. So uh, why don't well, you take it away? I guess. I gotta I gotta say we're talking mirror universe in a mirror darkly, man. Uh, I'm taking over. We are going back to the mirror universe right oh, now. No. And you know what that means, my friend? It is time. We said it was never going to happen, but I'm the emperor in this universe, son. <laughs> there we go again. Son? And it is time, once again, for Geek the Stump, part two, The Wrath of Dan. Oh, no. I will say this. I made it easy for you. Well, in my mind, I made it easy for you. But we're going to have a little fun one more time. You felt really bad about the last one, and I want to give you a chance to, you know, you know, pick yourself up a little bit before I punch you back down again, but we're going to do our best. You humiliated me in the last one. It was terrible. No, I did not humiliate you. humiliated yourself, sir. <laughs> oh, it's brutal. I, uh... well, all right, tell everyone what the rules are. The rules are I'm going to ask you five questions and a bonus question worth an arbitrary amount of points, and you simply have to answer it correctly, or you shall forever once again be shamed. I can Those use are the, pretty easy rules. I can use the internet, right? <laughs> you cannot use the internet. You cannot use your phone. You cannot use any type of media other than what those synapses inside your skull do to give you the information that you need to give me a correct answer. Does that sound good to you? Um, pretty much. F- okay. <laughs> Okay. Um, I will say that a couple of these questions today, we were talking about my love of Porthos. So there's going to be some animal questions mixed into today's today's oh, questions. No. There's going to be a couple anyway. Oh, no. I feel a Spock's so dog question start... coming on. What's that? I feel a Spock's dog question coming on. No, I actually didn't put that in there, but I, I will tell you I thought about it. <laughs> You're honest. I appreciate that. You mean, you mean Ichaya, right? That's what you're going to say. Yeah, no, it wasn't. Anyway. You know, I was actually talking about the one from the enemy within, which wasn't really Spock's dog, but Spock holds the dog. So, yes. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to get started with question one for one point. Actually, I'm sorry, for 01 points. Oh. Because this is an Enterprise episode, the NX01. Okay. And it is about our beloved Porthos himself. Porthos is an adorable beagle in our universe. What kind of dog is he in the mirror universe? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a great question. I know he's a bigger dog. He's a, uh, he's a much darker dog. I want to say he's a Rottweiler. And is that your final answer? Yes, Dan, I'm going to lock it in. Uh, Rottweiler. Congratulations. You have 01 points, Bill. Who's the big winner now? Yeah, okay. Woo! <laughs> I'm going to say congratulations, and I'm very proud of you because we've got question number two coming up now. Oh, man. And it is going to be for 3,000 
113 points. I would actually like you, if you could, to take um, notes on the number of points because I'm in a temporary room and I don't have a pencil with me. I am. Thank you. <laughs> now, kind of a hint, but really not a hint. The number of points for this question actually is the star date that this episode takes place in. <laughs> in the original series episode, Tomorrow is Yesterday. Kirk had to return Captain Christopher to Earth without any knowledge of seeing the Enterprise or other future events. The reason this had to happen is because his yet unborn son played a critical role in Earth's history. What was his name? And if you want to tell me, what was that critical role? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back into this. I, I want to say that he led the first manned mission to Mars... And I want to say his name was Sean Jeffrey Christopher. Okay. But that's that's not quite right. That is as quite right as I'm going to allow it. That is very close. You've got the you've got the three thousand one hundred thirteen points because his name was in fact Sean Jeffrey Christopher, and you were just a couple planets off. He was the commander of the first successful mission to Saturn. Ah, Saturn! Darn it. Well, Dude, that, I am like very uh, uh, amazed right now. <laughs> that's actually one of my favorite TOS episodes. Oh, all right. Well, okay then. I remember to get off on a little sidetrack. One of the first times I watched Star Trek outside of my house, we were traveling somewhere, and we went to a um, uh, what are the things where you have the big the big bubbles and you watch the constellations on the ceiling? A planetarium. Uh, Yes, thank you. I don't know why. My dogs just ran in and they're wrestling behind me, so I'm distracted. Um, we, they played Tomorrow's Yesterday on the ceiling of that planetarium. It was in Arizona, I think. That's really cool. cool. Yeah, it was very cool. All right, so you you are two for two tonight, sir, and I'm completely shocked and surprised, and I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. That makes two of us. So we're going we're gonna to move on to question three. For 77,777.7 points. Okay. I'm going to need a calculator. <laughs> In Deep Space Nine's Apocalypse Rising, several crew members became Klingons to infiltrate the military base Tiger Corps in an effort to explode, explode, to expose the changeling thought to be impersonating Gowron. What was Cisco's alias, including the name of his father? So, for example, for a match game reference, I am looking for blank, son of blank. <laughs> I will I will tell you right now, I have no earthly idea. No earthly idea. I have idea. no Klingon idea. What about you, either. Callie? Do you know? What's that? I have no Klingon idea either. No Klingon idea. Okay. It would be Jodmos... Son of Kobor. Yeah, that so was easy. So you just lost 77,777.7 points. Where did that point value come from? I did not have it written down in my list of questions, so <laughs> I just threw that in there right off the top of my head. You're honest. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Next question. For 265 points... We've talked about dogs tonight. We talked about Porthos. We've talked about Spock's dog and the enemy within. 
What was the name of Captain Janeway's dog? Oh, man. Oh, I can see the photo, too. Her and her uh, her boyfriend and the dog in her ready room. Uh, um, it's a, I know it's a girl dog. Ah, it is a girl dog, yeah. Yeah, oh, thank you. I really appreciate the, the play-by-play there. <laughs> um, oh, darn it. Um... The name of Captain Janeway's dog. I don't think two hundred and fifty-six this... <laughs> points. Uh, sixty-five. Two to sixty-five. Sixty-five. Sorry. <laughs> um, I want to. I'm sure I'm going to get this wrong. I want to say Molly. You're a jerk. Is that right? Molly is the answer. Oh my god! You are three for four, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I. That was wow. a. Uh, I. Uh, that's luck. That is the sun shining on a proverbial dog's ass right now. <laughs> and right now, I am that dog's ass. My goodness gracious. So that is for 265 points, which is the number of my address on my street. Grand total of 3,379 points coming into question five. All right. Question five. You should get this one. I will be very disappointed if you don't get this one. No pressure. It's done very... I'm- you have completely wiped the slate clean from the, the last uh, mess that we were in when we did Geek the Stump. <laughs> All right. For three points, staying on the pet train in a fistful of datas, which was another great episode in TNG, Riker and Crusher were rehearsing a play that was overwritten with a poem that Data wrote about his cat. What was the name of that poem? I believe it's an ode to Spot. Are you sure? That's my final answer. <laughs> I'm that pretty is sure. the correct answer. Four for five, dude. Ten wow. million... 242,003 points to Bill. I don't want to brag, but that uh, brings my total to 10,245,382 points. All based on luck. No skill. (laughs) No skill. And that reference, because we always do like to give the references, that number is my numerical anniversary to my gorgeous, lovely bride, Susan, who was doing a wonderful impression of Professor McGonagall earlier, I may, must point out. Oh, I see it now. Very nice. So they, Yes. All right. So, Bill, you've got 10 million some odd points. <laughs> <laughs> so it is now time to double or nothing with the world-famous Mirror Universe bonus question. Oh, boy. It is a multiple answer question I will say that we've discussed it from time to time recently so I do want to make sure that you have a little piece of your brain working in the recent past in the Gamesters of Triskelion name five thralls that were seen in that episode here's a hint Two of them did not have names. One was the Andorian Thrall. He did not have a name. And the other one was the gentleman who was, quote, slow to obey a command. He did not have a name other either. So name me five other Thralls, please. Uh, I can assure you that's not happening. Can you name any? No. 
No, I can't. You this... can't name any thralls from the games of Triskelion. No, and this is the point where I insert the Price is Right horns of failure, right? Right, wait for it, right, right here. Yeah, that's Oh, me. well, Bill, I'm sorry. You now have zero points. It's really sad because you did so well for the first... You didn't... Okay, right, we're going we're gonna to talk about this a little bit. We're going to walk through it. Kirk, the blonde, green-haired girl with the silver outfit. I've never known her character's name. I just know that's Angelique Pettyjohn, and she's one of my favorite nice. Star Trek guest stars of all time. If you'd asked okay. me who played I, her, I would have nailed that out of the park. Nailed it. That was Shauna. Yeah, you're right, I, Shauna. Yeah, I, or I Lady Gaga. Because that's what she looks like. <laughs> yes, yep. Uh, the master thrall, of course, was Galt. Oh, right. I am Galt, the master thrall. This place is the planet Triskelion. You are to be trained and spend the rest of your lives here. Ding, 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 ding. I feel like yeah. I'm spending the rest that's of my Galt. life there right now. Okay, good, good. Um, number three would be Klug. He was the big hairy dude with the funny teeth. Yeah. That's Klug. Lars was just, he looked like a normal dude with a leather outfit on. Right. Uh, and the other one was Tamoon, who was the provider for Chek, Chekuf? Chekuf. <laughs> Maybe we Go. will be selected for each other. <laughs> that was Tamoon. <laughs> that was pretty so. good. <laughs> well. Uh, I, I got to say, dude, though. You have redeemed yourself in my mind. I don't know about the minds of our listeners because that last one was not good. But you are you did you did a great job tonight, man. Uh, I I did what I you know, the bonus rounds always tougher. You know I it is tough. I came out to play. I gave it my all. I just would say uh, they're a tough team. You know they're <laughs> professionals too. They came to play and can, uh, they made a few more plays. Do it in Bill did. Belichick voice. Do it as Bill Belichick. Okay, here's my Bill Belichick impersonation. You ready? We're on the Cincinnati. <laughs> um, I will say one of the best things about how well you did tonight is that it completely opened the door to beam over to that mirror universe again for Geek the Stump Part 3 at some point in the future. Yeah! You know what this means about the next installment of Stump the Geek, don't you? <laughs> I have a 13-part bonus question just itching to get used. Ah! <laughs> I look forward to the challenge, sir. Son. <laughs> Son. Well, for those of you at home, if you have your own Stump the Geek questions or you want to suggest a future show topic or you just want to leave a comment in general, you might be able to send those to us. And I'm pretty sure that Dan is going to tell you how to do that right about now. I got a plethora of ways that you can get that information over to us. Uh, you can send us a tweet on Twitter. Uh you can send an individual one to Bill at, at TrekGeekBill, or you can send one to me at, at DCDDS9. Um, on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter, if you want to send it to TrekGeeks, that's our handle, TrekGeeks. You can send us an email at TrekGeeks at Starfleet.com, or you can call us and leave a voicemail at 508-784-1701. We actually got a very nice uh, voicemail uh, this week, I believe, Bill. We did. We'll probably uh, uh, address that next episode. Sounds good. Um, also, please go to uh, Facebook and join our official Facebook club, 
called Camp Kittimer. Uh, sign in, share things you love about Star Trek, engage in some great conversation, make some new friends. Uh, just go to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. We'll let you write in and uh, also be sure to tell all your Star Trek friends or your non-Star Trek friends because maybe we can get them to be Star Trek friends. <laughs> maybe anyway, we can. Um, also, <laughs> remember that any comments you, uh, or messages you leave us uh, in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Um, and also want to remind all of our listeners uh, that the podcasts are available on iTunes. And we would love it if you would actually subscribe to the podcast. And while you're on iTunes, leave us a review, whether it's good or bad. Um, it helps get our podcast uh, uh, out there more. Um, and we want to hear what you think of us. If you like us, if you hate us. Uh, and also, please feel free to share that podcast with your friends because, as we said last week, the more the merrier. Right, Bill? Right, Dan. The more the merrier. Yes. Uh, and maybe next week we'll also uh, read a couple of iTunes reviews, too, to thank some of the people who have taken time out of their busy days to to let other people know about Trek Geeks. So we'll uh, we'll look forward to that next week in episode 35. Ah, I know. I'm amazed I put up with you for that long. Uh, we would be remiss if we did not thank our friends in the band Five Year Mission. Without them, this podcast would not sound as awesome as it does because their music really sort of adds a, a, a really nice layer to, to our show. Um, the music sounds great. We love using it. We love listening to their music. Uh, please go out to fiveyearmission.net. Get yourself a copy of Spock's Brain and Year One and Year Two and Year Three and Spock's Dog and Trouble with Tribbles and Please support the band, and if you can, please uh, let Creation Entertainment know you'd like to have them back as the house band for the big 50th anniversary convention next summer in Las Vegas. 50th anniversary. Bark in a tank top. In fact, I want to say, Dan, as of this particular recording, (laughs) we are now 299 days away from the convention in Las Vegas. Not that I'm counting. We are under 300. Under 300, baby. Man, that is awesome. That can't is, wait. That is awesome. And I can't wait for us to come back next week. So until then, we hope you all live long and prosper. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go eat a coconut cookie because I bought some coconut cookies at the store today. So coconut nom, nom, nom. <laughs> <laughs> I got faith out of heart. <laughs> That's all I get? You should That's do the it. whole song. Oh, no. <laughs> Dude. I should do it like, I should do it as Peter Griffin and like screw up the words. Because I got faith of the song. <laughs> Everybody's gonna eat me. I got <laughs> What? Uh-oh. Hi, I have my lovely wife here. She's saying hello. <laughs> Is she what watching? What you got to say there, honey? Downton Abbey. Oh, I'm still alive. <laughs> what did she say? Oh, he missed it. What did you say? Never mind. <laughs>
She was doing my Miss McGonagall impersonation. Oh, I'm still Professor alive. I, all I heard was the yep. alive. You'll have to throw that into the outtake so that she'll be... Don't watch Downton Abbey! <laughs> That's what she's doing tonight while we're podcasting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah she is. She knows what's good for her. That's right. You know, I told her what to do, and she'll do it. Yeah, like that's right. going to happen ever. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's right. I think we all know that's my, a lie. All right, I'm putting my foot down and do exactly what she tells me. Putting, <laughs> yeah, you're putting your foot in your mouth is more like it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I got faith of a heart. <laughs> I can do anything. <laughs> Dude, you totally need to do the whole song at some point. That would be awesome. <laughs> if, we can get the, if we get the music in there and it's like a karaoke, I'll do my best to try. You should record that <laughs> offline. And sing Speaking a, of which... Because the last I time I tried to get you to sing to the YouTube video, it was out of sync. Yeah, it's it's a synky thing. But if you do it on your end, it'll sound right. I could. Now, that I, now that you and your expert tutelage has shown me how to do it. I didn't show you how to do anything. I said, freaking download it and start playing. I wouldn't have done that without your advice. Didn't I tell you to do that six months ago? I've got faith. <laughs> faith of the heart. <laughs> Mom. Mummy. I got faith. <laughs> All righty then. All right. Let's do this. Let's do this. Mom. Mummy. Mummy. Mom. Mama. Mama. Hi. You went from Stewie and drifted into Dan there a little bit. 